This episode of the Door County Pulse podcast is brought to you in part by the Door County Community Foundation, inspiring people to give back, to sustain, and advance the community that we love. To learn more, visit givedoorcounty.org. Hello and welcome to the Door County Pulse podcast. I'm Andrew Clyden and I'm joined today by Miles Danhausen, writer and editor for The Pulse. How's it going, Miles? Going good, Andrew. How are you doing? I'm doing well. Uh, woke up this morning, looked out my backyard and saw snow on my deck. Miles, what happened? <laughs> yeah, I, I saw the same thing and was quite disenchanted. I know. At least it wasn't one of those like weird April blizzards that we've had in the past. I've got to experience one yeah. of those in my <laughs> time up here. And uh, I'll take a little dusting that melts pretty quick at the right. end of April rather it's better than something than, else. What, the 17 to 30 inches we had three, four years ago? Right. We were talking about like, okay, so what do what do snow removal efforts even look like at this part of the <laughs> yeah. year? Because there's no budget for them at that point yeah. or, or very little budget. And not that there would need to be because why would you even put that in your, your, your line items for right. April snow removal? But uh, luckily we didn't have anything like that today. Yeah. <laughs> Well, you had a busy day yesterday trying to help Dave set up over at the uh, fire station for that big town meeting in Bailey's Harbor. Right. So uh, yesterday, we're recording this on Wednesday. Uh, yesterday was the Bailey's Harbor annual town meeting. And uh, while I didn't actually attend the meeting, I did get to see the space as it was being set up. Looked like it was a pretty great space to have a meeting like that. Plenty of room to spread out. Lots of chairs were able to fit in there, socially distanced. Uh, I did help put together the sound equipment and a funny anecdote. So uh, what we record on for the podcast, these are not event microphones, right? They're podcasting microphones very specifically. So they have a lot of, uh, they have a lot more headroom, I would say, in terms of how much sound they can actually take in. Uh, you and I are speaking pretty conversationally right across mm -hmm. the table from each other uh, with our mouths pretty close to the microphones. But for an event microphone, you kind of want, you know, maybe less gain on there, less taking sound in because you've got people who are speaking a lot louder. They're projecting already to a crowd. Usually they're not kind of, you know. Sure. So when we plugged all of the microphones in, we had seven microphones running and we turned the speakers on. The speakers immediately exploded because they just took in way too much sound. <laughs> and even just the room noise coming off of all seven microphones was enough to send a loud enough signal to the speakers and then immediately be picked back up by the microphones. Oh, sure. So it created that... Echo effect. Immediately. And the speakers just all went like... Like right from the go. So then I spent probably 15 minutes trying to make our microphones as quiet as humanly possible to the point where they would still pick everything up well, but not be heard by the speakers and vice versa. <laughs> uh, so that was fun to deal with. That's a fun I'm, challenge. And yeah. this is all because, you know, we're doing... Um, in this case, town of Bailey's Harbor, which, uh, Dave Elliott, my partner, your boss here at the Peninsula Pulse, um, filling out the last days of his interim chairmanship, um, for Bailey's Harbor. They're taking on the Nelson's property vote and that vote is held in person and we, we still have the pandemic going on. So they, they have to move that in-person vote to the fire station to have enough room to accommodate what they n knew would be several hundred people for this kind of hot topic in Bailey's Harbor. So how do you take a, you know, most town board meetings are, are usually done up here in pretty small rooms because not many people attend them. So they have to move it over to the town hall or move it over to the fire station and take a place that is not meant for doing a, an event like this and try and turn it into something that works. So you need microphones, you need to um, make this other space work. 
Yeah, and I will say it is pretty funny the slippery slope that I've found myself being subjugated to in terms of like when I first started, Miles, you approached me and you're like, hey, you know how cameras work. Have you ever done a podcast? And I'm like, <laughs> uh, no, but I'm sure I could figure it out. And we started doing this and then Dave came to me and was like, hey, you do a podcast. Are you an events audio guy? <laughs> yeah, right. I was like, uh, no, but I'm sure I can figure it out. Yeah. So uh, just want to say I'm, I have no events experience in my past, but uh, I did the best that I could. And from what I heard, it turned out pretty good. Yeah. So why don't we actually jump into that meeting? Craig Starrett was there and he wrote about it for The Pulse. Uh, you can read his stuff online and in the paper this week. Uh, but tell me what, what you heard from the, the gathering, how many people showed up and, and how to go. Yeah, so they ended up with a little under 300 people who voted and probably a little over 300 who were actually there. But you have to be a town resident to actually vote. So um, as we've seen in other towns when they've had big votes like this, um, you have a lot of people who are non-residents who come and, and want to express their opinion or maybe just want the show. Um, or in this case, maybe they just wanted to get out where a bunch of people were for the first time in a long time. Yeah, it's been a year. Might as well go to the fire station see yeah. everybody. <laughs> um, and probably a fair amount of people, the Bailey's Harbor Fire Station was just completed. They will be having an open house on the 24th, by the way. So anyone who wants to go check that out, uh, they're going to kind of have a... Um, kind of curtailed celebration of the new fire station there. Right. I'd uh, never been inside the old fire station, but from my brief time yesterday, and it's really nice. So looking yeah. forward to that for sure. Um, so the final tally, you know, we've been, obviously with, with Dave being the chair, we've talked about this a lot in the office. And if you've been around Bailey's Harbor at all for the last five years, you've talked about the Nelson's property. Because right. if you go and you have a beer at the Cornerstone or grab lunch there or go to Bearded Heart, you walk by it, Almost every once a day, you hear someone say, either whether it's a tourist or a local, say, so what's going on with the Nelson's property? Is the town going to buy that? Is somebody else going to develop it? What could go there? I mean, it's been a nonstop conversation. Um, and now, now we finally know at least the first step of it. And of those, last night, the final vote was 255 to 32. That's 89% approval right. for the purchase, which was $1.95 million for that parcel. Um, those listening who don't know where it is, it's right next to the Bailey's Harbor Town Marina. It has not been an operating storefront for four or five years, and it, there's about 150 feet of waterfront right there. Right. Well, and, and I won't belabor too much about what the the vote was for or anything because, like you said, we've talked we've been talking about it for quite a while. Uh, if you want to hear Dave Elliott's ideas and and why he kind of took everything on, we had him on the podcast a couple of weeks ago to talk about it. Uh, you and I have talked have spoken about it as it's been coming up. Deb Fitzgerald also wrote a piece for the paper about the difference between a village, a town, and a city, and why this is a vote to purchase it, but another place might not have a vote like that. Yeah. Uh, and and kind of digging into the question of like, well, there's no plan for the property at this point. So what are we voting on? Well, it's just a plan to purchase it and then accept community input on what to do with it later, right? So uh, there's a lot of resources that we've been putting together if you want more information on what this vote was actually for. Uh, but now, uh, now we'll move into the next phase of this. So now that the town has agreed to purchase the property and the vote has gone through, now it's time to decide what happens with the property. Yeah, um, you know, and back to that vote a little bit. I mean, 89% approval is, it's pretty crazy numbers. Um, I, I think Dave expected it to be a lot closer. Um, I expected it to be closer, but I, I did think, it, I, I didn't think it would necessarily be close. Um, just because if you, if you sell a, a property purchase the right way in Door County and focus on the property and the access, especially when you're talking about waterfront, usually voters up here want that. Um, and they're willing to pay for it. That's been shown in town after town after town. Um, 
this was one of the bigger meetings. The only meetings I can think of that had more attendees than that for a town meeting like this, uh, Liberty Grove, I think had four to 500 people back, um, almost 10 years ago when they first brought up the Gills Rock shoreline purchase and that got voted down. Um, a couple of years later, about 150 people showed up and voted it through. So that was a part two years ago. Town of Gibraltar had four to 500 people for the Redmond property purchase where they held that meeting in the door community auditorium. Um, that one, uh, failed overwhelmingly. I, I still say probably because they just tried to, they, people were confused. They didn't make it about the land and the property and, um, controlling development. They, they had all these other ideas on the table and, and that gave people a lot of ammunition to be against the idea. Um, but generally I, my guess is if they had just made it about like, let's control this property and preserve some of it and focus on the, the attributes of that land probably goes through. Another thing too, uh, in, in terms of this, and this is something that we talked to Dave about on the podcast when he was on is trying to find a way to supplement the, the purchase price, right. To try to take some of the tax burden off of the town and to, uh, to, to raise additional funds for the, the property purchase and uh, a significant amount of funds have already been raised on that front. Right. Yeah. Um, they've, they have pledges in the hundreds of thousands of dollars. I mean, it, it, it's literally changing as we speak as more people pledge and, and commit to it. So I don't want to know, I, I can't tell you what the specifics are, but their hope is to raise $1.1 million. And that could come, and of that 1.1, 600,000, if they raise it, 600,000 would go toward the purchase price. And then the rest of the money would go toward um, redevelopment of that site. That might mean money toward taking down the existing buildings. It could, maybe that goes toward, um, you know, creating the green space in whatever way. I'm sure there'd be some, some landscaping work that you need to do. Maybe that's uh, benches or pavilion or whatever needs to go there. That remaining money could go toward that aspect of it um, just to offset that cost for the town. So there are efforts underway. I know they have several hundred thousand dollars committed already, pledged already, and they have a pledge out there for once they raise $500,000, somebody has come forward to say every dollar after that up to 250000 this person will match. So if they can, dollar for dollar, so if they can get, if they raise 750000 basically, they get another two hundred fifty. so that gets them to a million. Right. So that's, that's pretty intriguing. It's sort of like what Sister Bay did in partnership with the Land Trust with uh, Pebble Beach property where they raised a lot of private donations to get a good chunk of that parcel purchased and then Sister Bay committed to the rest. And Sister Bay, through grant applications, which might be available at Bailey's Harbor as well, um, when all is said and done, that Pebble Beach might not end up costing the village of Sister Bay more than relative pennies um, once all the grants and things come through. Right. Who is in charge of building the big wooden meter that we fill with the red paint as it slowly ticks up to the $1 million mark? <laughs> is that going to be you or do I have to do it? I think we're get, we, we should push that back on somebody else in the office for that right. one. <laughs> I, we've, we've done a lot here getting this, this ready. Let's, let's try to push off the handiwork to somebody else. Anything else on the Bailey's Harbor meeting before we move on to a couple other stories this week? I think we're good. All right. Like I said, if you want to check out any uh, additional information on it, we've got a couple podcast episodes in the archives, uh, and then there will be uh, more writing about it in the paper this week too. So be sure to check that out. Yeah. And I would guess like the, you know, the big work now starts. Now you just got the property. Now you got to figure out what to do with it. And um, I've been on committees for those things in the past in Sister Bay on the waterfront. I was on that um, waterfront redevelopment committee there where we just got tons of public input and said like, here, public tell us what you want and we'll try and shape this and ultimately that worked out really well in sister bay remains to be seen what they decide to do in bailey's harbor 
Right. Moving on to uh, Fish Creek, Eagle Tower is going to open up next week on April 30th. So it'll be open and available to the public uh, next weekend. Uh, it'll be the first time that people get to climb the tower again in how many years now at this point? What is that, five years? Was it 2015 or 2016? Off the top of my head, I can't remember, but at least five years since you've been able to go up Eagle Tower. Right. Um, pretty wild, actually. When I called um, Park Superintendent Eric Hyde this week, and he said, yeah, we're actually going to open on the 30th. I was like, wow, it's it's happening. But in this age of COVID, like you don't get these big celebrations. I think in a normal time, it would be this big ribbon cutting grand opening celebration. Now it's just like, yeah, we're doors are open. So, um, but it's crazy. It's just been under construction and the center of controversy for so long that, you know, it's finally going to be here. So we'll see how many people, um, make it up that long, long ramp or just climb the steps. Right. I'm curious to hear if public opinion on it changes at all or if people who detracted from it change once they're able to actually experience it. Because from the beginning, I've been excited about it because I think that that like that canopy walk that you get to do by going up among the trees and kind of walking through. I think that that's exciting. Right. You get to you get to see this wildlife from a, a position that you normally don't get to see. Right. Yeah. It's a longer ramp. And. Uh, it looks a lot different than the other one did, maybe a little shorter as well. But I think that the opportunity to get a different vantage point and to create more of an experience of going up, I think that that's exciting. So I'm, I'm, I'm interested in not only doing it myself, but hearing if, if other people's opinions on it change once they've been able to actually climb it. Yeah, there is a, a similar kind of canopy walk in um, southwest Michigan. Called, I think it's a Galene River. Maybe it's pronounced Galene River <laughs> um, Preserve. But it, you come off a bluff and you walk out amongst the treetops. It's really cool. Um, I actually thought that would be a really cool idea for a town of Gibraltar to, as you come down the Fish Creek Hill one day. So if right. anyone wants a pet project, look at that. Right. Um, but the for Eagle Tower, you know, that adds a ton of expense. I, I'm I'm excited. I'm, I'm trying to have an open mind to it. I'm I'm still I'm nostalgic. So I was tied to the old Eagle Tower, and you know, it disappoints me that this one's going to be 15 feet shor- shorter. It disappoints me that. Um, we probably could have done something for a couple hundred thousand dollars the way it was. And we've now spent almost $4 million the way it is now, but it does look kind of cool. And as long as it, um, you know, it's getting, it's a lot of pressure for this thing to deliver and, and be cool. And I mean, it'll be nice to just have it open. <laughs> I, I'm actually curious to see like how many people actually take the ramp. Cause that's a, it's a long walk and it is steep. So I'm curious how many people will do that. Right. So th- there are still steps to actually take you just straight up, right? Similar to the old one? Yes. Okay. I'm going to take believe. the ramp because I want to do the canopy walk number one. But also my only experience with Eagle Tower, I know you said that you're nostalgic, but I've only climbed it once and I was hauling about 75 pounds worth of camera equipment up it. <laughs> so I, I don't have as much nostalgia with going up it. Taking my time, going up the ramp, I think that that sounds like a good idea for me. So the last thing that I wanted to talk about this week is just another update on COVID-19 vaccine progress. Uh, it's been a little bit since we talked about it last. Do you have the the percentage of where we're at right now in terms of people who are vaccinated? Yeah, as we um, continue through this week, the numbers from, uh, we're recording this uh, Wednesday, they are doing their vaccine clinics today. The last few weeks, they've been doing about 2,000 a week. We peaked at about 2,700 in a week um, for Door County. So I just the trend is that those are going down. So maybe we'll add 1,000 to 1,500 this week. But we were at fifty, about 55% of all people 16 and older had gotten at least their first dose going into this week. 
Um, Brian Stevens from Door County Medical Center, he said by the hospital's internal numbers, they would put it at something close to like 65% of adults over the age of 20. Um, so I, there, there is some little difference between the reporting there. But um, so we, we've got a great uptake in these initial weeks. And we have 89% of adults over the age of 65 have at least one dose, which is phenomenal. Um, and so when you, when you look at that, if, if we are at 65% of adults with one dose today, assuming two to th- or three to four weeks for their second dose, you're looking at mid-May of having a minimum of 65% of adults fully vaccinated, um, possibly more. Uh, in talking to Brian Stevens, there obviously the demand has dropped for vaccines. Public health, as of yesterday, you could they were ex- accepting walk-in appointments for today's vaccination clinic because people hadn't filled all those slots. Um, the hospital will discontinue their mass vaccination clinics at the end of this month and will continue to do vaccines, but just not in those massive ways. They are now moving to doing targeted vaccine clinics. So they did one at Fincantieri Bay Shipbuilding this week. They'll do another one at NEW Industries on Friday, and they are looking for church groups or other businesses and organizations who feel like maybe they they have constituents that just can't make the nine to five schedule work for them to, or can't find transportation to get to Sturgeon Bay. The hospital is trying to reach out and find those people where they're at as best they can. And public health will be doing a vaccine clinic in Sister Bay next week uh, on the 29th to try and reach more people who maybe are hesitant to where it's just either inconvenient or impossible for them to get there. Right. Yeah, those numbers are, are really great. And the fact that we're at this point now, uh, compared to like, I, I talked to my parents and my siblings that are still in Minnesota, uh, and they're just starting to get their first dose right now. Uh, whereas I'm five weeks ahead of them at this point. Um, and, and it sounds like we're kind of in that zone too. Um, so it's great to hear that, that that progress is moving on. What do you think, any any projections for, for where we're going to be at probably fully like once we've we've vaccinated everybody who wants to be vaccinated are there projections right now for what percentage we might be at yeah what what brian stevens told me was he he figures there's somewhere around a thousand people probably that they can still that still want the vaccine but haven't gotten it yet that gets you up around 69 70 percent of the adult population in door county um he said getting a much beyond that is going to be a tall order um now you're getting into that 25 to 30 percent who are vaccine hesitant to begin with, maybe don't believe in COVID, maybe believe in COVID, but don't think it's serious enough and don't think they need it because they're young and healthy. And that kind of like, you know, that freeloader mentality is like oh, enough other people have. And to be honest, I've been that way about the flu vaccine in the past too. Like I, there are many, many years where I haven't gotten a flu vaccine just cause I'm like, well, I've never, not a big deal for me. You know, I'm, I'm young and healthy. I'm getting older. So that's changing. Right. Um, there's one, there's one population that I'm interested in is people who already had COVID and may not right. think they need a vaccine because they may already have antibodies. Uh, have you heard anything one way or the other about if people should still get vaccinated if they've already gotten COVID? That's a great question. Um, and I have a number of friends that way. They're like, well, I had COVID. I'm fine. Here's the, you should get the vaccine still. And here's why, because one, you don't know how severe your case was. And all the research I've done on and read on the vaccines for those who've already had it is you don't know that generally the vaccine gives you better antibodies and better ability to fight a future infection than just having had COVID is. So the vaccines are better at fighting it. Um, if Let's say you had COVID in March of last year or April of last year or maybe August of last year. 
even November. You know, that's now six, seven months away. You don't know how long you got that, those antibodies, how long that immunity lasts. I mean, even now they're saying we probably need a booster shot for these other variants. So if it's been just like with the flu, if you got it last year, you're still supposed to get the flu shot, right? So for the next year, that's kind of how they think the coronavirus is going to play out. So that means if you if it was a year ago now, you should probably be re-upping your shot. So there's several reasons to get the vaccine anyway if you had COVID in the past. And the other thing is, if you tested positive but had a very mild case, there might not have been much antibody development in your in your system anyway. Right. Yeah, that, that's an interesting point. And I, I heard somebody kind of break down how vaccines work in a way that I really enjoyed hearing about. So, like, uh, the, the basis of it was imagine that your body is like a castle or a fort and it's being attacked by, uh, you know, the, the rival army, which would be the the virus. And if it attacks you and you're able to fend off the attack, you've the, your soldiers inside your fort may have a pretty good idea of, of what to do in case that happens. But a vaccine is imagine somebody with uh, intel about what the upcoming attack is going to be, right? Uh, they come over and they train your soldiers to be able to defeat the other army as they come in, uh, that's going to be more effective than your soldiers just on their own being like, okay, if this happens again, I think we know what to do. I think we know how to handle it. Imagine if you had the enemy intel or if, you know, in a traditional vaccine where it's a dead virus that they inject into you, sure. that would be somebody bringing over like, hey, this is the enemy's weaponry and you can study it and you can figure out how to best defeat it. Uh, whereas like these RNA vaccines are more like an expert coming in with blueprints and being like, I don't have the weapons, but here's actually how they work and we'll just train you like that. So if you think about it like that, you want to have as much extra firepower as possible which would be, you know, a vaccination compared to just like, well, I had it, I fought it off, I think we're good. Re-upping and, and retraining your soldiers inside you is the way that I start to think about it. And if that's helpful for anybody who's on the fence, then great. Otherwise, I just think it's a, a cool analogy. Yeah, I like that too. That's that. That's a great way to look at it. It's exciting when you think about 65, 70%. I know her Im great immunity would be 100% uptake. We can't reach that, right? There are some people who just can't get the vaccine. They have a allergies or, or health conditions. So it's incumbent on the rest of us to try and limit the spread here. But if we get around, they've said now the estimates for herd immunity are anywhere from 75 to 80% at different stages in this, they've said like at least 60%. So if we're getting around 70, we're probably right in that ballpark. And that means some degree of normalcy. And if we've got 90% of 65 plus, those are the people most vulnerable, most likely to be hospitalized, most likely to die. For everyone under 65, those numbers go down to like very low levels anyway. So even if the rest of us weren't vaccinated, that would put us in a pretty good shot a position if only the 65 plus were vaccinated. So now you get down to that, that point where all these adults are vaccinated. In, in my mind, I look to like, okay, let's start opening up. Our risk is not going to be zero. And I think that's something a lot of people who are, are very, very concerned. And, you know, every time we make a step forward, you see someone say, what about the variants or what about this or what about that? We don't know the long haulers. It's like, okay, we're not going to know the long-term implications in the, for this until the long-term comes. So if we're going to not get back to normal until we know for absolute certain how this affects us 20 years down the road, like it's a long time to not do things, right? So it's a, we're at that point where we have to evaluate our risk tolerance. And, you know, we, we drive cars that are actually like a pretty high risk endeavor, you know, for 
um, for how much we drive compared to say like airplanes. Um, we deal with the flu every year. And, you know, when you're talking about that level, um, I think we just have to get back to that and, and say like, all right, how would we do this if we didn't think of all the, f- the fear we've had in the past now that we're vaccinated? What is our risk tolerance now and, and what can we do? And I, I actually think we can get back to doing a lot of things fairly quickly. Yeah. And I think that those, those types of thoughts are, are great to, to direct internally. So to be like, what, what, are, what am I comfortable with yeah. this year? Uh, I feel like I'm going to be way more comfortable going out and doing things this year than I was last year, but I'm not going to have expectations on others, right? Right. Uh, and I'm not going to change the way that I behave towards others uh, because of, of the way that things still are. You know what I mean? Yeah. So my thought is like, I'm not going to ever argue with a business that asked me to put a mask on this year. Absolutely. Because... Again, even though I, if I'm comfortable going in without a mask, cool, but I'm not going to put that expectation on other people. And I think that that's kind of an important distinction to make this year is, uh, however you want to feel about going out and doing stuff again, that level of risk acceptance or, or how, you know, if you're not afraid of doing anything, I think that that's great, but try to remember the other people as well and and, and focus on that moving forward. Well, yeah. And to that end, like for me, Having gotten my second shot, having uh, the people that I interact with most and care about most all having a second shot now, and then looking forward two, three weeks when everyone's in the, the clear when they say like, okay, that's when you're, it really takes full effect. For me, I'd be comfortable for the first time in a year going and sitting down in a, in a bar. I, I, I know some people still think that's crazy, but um, all the numbers and, and risk levels to me um, tell me that that's okay. But would I still wear my mask going to that bar and walking in the door and making like, yes, I absolutely would. Um, in a crowd. Yes. At least for at least another six weeks or so, I would say just because we don't know how many, how many other people are waiting for that. And I don't want to be the thing that g- gives them anxiety. <laughs> so, right. um, I, I can deal with a little stuff to help make someone's day better. <laughs> yeah. Well, and I, I guess it comes down to how you frame it, right? Like I, this entire last year, I've never once worn my mask to protect myself. I don't think that masks are particularly useful in protecting yourself. I always wore my mask to protect others. I changed other behaviors to protect myself. I limited how much I was going out, those types of things, wash my hands more. But the, the mask wearing was never about me. It was never about keeping myself safe from others. It was about keeping others safe from anything that I might have and being courteous mm. about that. Uh, even coming in the office, wearing my mask, I'm fully vaccinated, but I do it because I don't want to make anybody uncomfortable. Same here. And, and I think that that's kind of the next step of this. Mask usage will probably you know be less and less as we go throughout this year, uh, but I, I'm never going to argue with somebody behind the counter because I don't want to wear my mask. At yeah, this point. there was an interesting debate at the Village of Sister Bay meeting last night where they had a, a proposed mask ordinance um, for the village. Trustee Denise Berto had brought that to the table. And they ultimately did not pass it, not because those village board members don't believe that people should be wearing masks, but ultimately because they said it, it would put the onus on the business owners to enforce this mask mandate, and then they could potentially get fined, the business could get fined, if they had a customer who screwed up and wouldn't, wasn't wearing their mask and they were like, what do we want to put that on the business owner for this guy being a jerk um, and not following the rules? So that was a big part of it. And also, you know, doing it one village surrounded by a bunch of other villages and small towns that are not doing that. It's just a, it's a hard thing to communicate to everybody, but pretty much to a, to a person that board said we support it. They, they talked about maybe 
passing some sort of resolution in support, but it basically became, is this doing anything for anybody? But um, yeah, it's going to be, man, if we get, if we get through four to six weeks, I, I really do think we're in a, in, a, in a spot where normalcy can be here pretty quick, short of some major catastrophe. Right. So we've got uh, the Nelson's property purchase going through. We've got Eagle Tower opening up next week. We've got really good vaccine progress. This is a pretty uplifting episode looking forward to the summer. I'm yeah. Glad that we got to chat it's nice to have things. uplifting things going into a summer for the first, right. <laughs> first time in two years, Starting right? to get excited. The sun's come out. The snow has melted in my backyard. So things are, things are looking up as we move forward. Yeah. Cool. Excellent. Well, Miles, thank you so much for chatting with me and I look forward to chatting with you again soon. Thank you, Andrew. Thank you so much for listening to the Door County Pulse podcast. If you want to support us at The Pulse, check out doorcountypulse.com slash shop, where you can get a weekly Pulse subscription, purchase some incredible Door County artwork from Pulse artist Ryan Miller, and much more. We hope you've enjoyed the Door County Pulse podcast, and we will see you next time.